poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Tactical Tuesday on Chasing Poker Greatness with your hosts, Brad Wilson and John Chai. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of Tactical Tuesday. John, who's going to be the host for today's episode, tried to do the intro and failed. He he's gotten to the point to where he his name is in the the theme music, but the intro it's a little it's a level above where he's he currently is. So maybe one day he'll get there and can do the, you know, the welcome, welcome, welcome. But that day is not today. This doesn't sound right when I do it. <laughs> you have to come up with, you know, your own thing. No, no, no. You got to keep the, that's the, <clears throat> that's the tagline. You can't change the tagline. Okay. So the tagline Anyways. doesn't change, but you are the host. So I will defer to you. Yeah, we're doing a little live MTT postmortem Brad over the weekend played uh extremely rare or for Brad an extremely rare event played a live MTT um and made it to day two because I'm sure extremely extremely rare <laughs> actually I made day two me. the last tournament that I played oh, two wow. years ago so what a heater. yeah I'm on a heater <clears throat> um, I had multiple people there who asked me if I was lost in the tournament area <laughs> oh, really Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, let's just let's just like let's just get some background info. Where is this tournament? What's the buy-in? Like all that. Kind it was of- in Cherokee, North Carolina, about two hours and forty-five minutes, three hours away from where I live. Um, it was a seventeen hundred buy-in. Uh, their main event at their WSOP circuit that they have. Um, everybody, you uh, you enter. There were two starting flights. And on the first day you buy in and you can have one re-entry and same for the second day. So you could be in for four total bullets. And I think they had over uh, 11 or 1200 total entries. What was the, what's the price pool then? I, uh, over 2 million, something like oh, that. Oh, wow. That's a, pretty, that's a big tournament. Yeah. They got a lot of people. Um, I, I did sort of wonder by the cash game place, uh, and check the boards and it looked like cash games were kind of going going quite well, um, which made me sad as I sauntered my way back down to the tournament area to play this. Another thing. three levels of... Yeah, another three levels of uh, uh, the tournament grind. I have to say, though, like the tournament grind is different than the cash game grind, and it was it had its own kind of unique set of challenges that were interesting just in the way that like doing something you don't normally do is interesting um and kind of having to like think on the fly and develop sort of a system and strategy for this event was kind of an interesting challenge and one that was actually more um it was more fulfilling than i thought it would be if that makes sense what are some what are some differences that like let's just Talk about like the difference between a long day, a full day of grinding a tournament. Let's say you, you, you know, you play day one and you bag versus, you know, playing like a, a full cash game session. Let's say like a, whatever, a full day of playing cash means for you. 
Well, there is no like immediate reward. I think that's the first thing is like at the end of a full day of cash games, you know how well you did at the end of a tournament. You still have no earthly idea, even if you did quite well, the, the end result, because there's more time to play. So I think that's one thing is like the result is kind of delayed. Um, I, you can also take more breaks playing cash games. You know, you can walk around, you can go outside, you can take a breath, you can just do all these things. Um, and also in a... Go to the bathroom. That's you can go like, to the bathroom. In a cash game, you have to be... Like, there are spots and a lot of times where you need to be playing with like a very high level of intensity. But in a tournament, it's every single hand. You don't get to play one hand without intensity. You don't get to look at your phone. Um, I tried to be less chatty than I norm normally am with my neighbors and just really think a lot about every single situation as it came, um, which is a bit different than cash games. Sounds like a full day of playing tournaments is much, much tougher than a full day of playing cash. It was very tough. You're describing yeah. Uh, it was very tough. And I think like the thing about cash games is, you know, it's about every decision is like, is this a plus EV better? Is it not? Right. And then you just like play this hand and it exists in this moment. And then you play the next hand and it exists in the moment and you can just reload. And, and like, so it, it's just this like very repetitious, uh, exercise and tournaments though, like you don't get to bust out and rebuy. I mean, unless you're in the re-entry period, then you can bust out and rebuy at the one time. But like, you can't just, uh, you, you know, there, there's this high level of pressure, I think, that's a lot different than cash games. There, There's some moments in cash games that are high pressure, as you know, but most of the time, not a ton of pressure. In tournaments, like, the pressure is there, like, every single hand, there's a lot of pressure. How'd that affect, like, the way you play? Did that make any, were you playing, like, way differently from when you, you play cash not really i would say the way that it made well what it did was make me curious really uh, about tournaments in general um i was thinking about just like if i were to like build out a wolf-like program or build you know courses on tournaments if i were to like want to fully invest myself into learning tournaments right how would i go about doing it and i think one of the major components there is the pressure element um, and the way that it sort of manifests is for somebody that's like decent at reading hands, the pressure makes it much easier to hand read because players are very obvious about what they have and what they're doing. There's way less, uh, deception in tournaments than in cash games. So like that is one thing that sort of, yeah, piqued my interest of like, wow, like in cash games, you know, it typically takes multiple bets to uh you know have a decent idea but in a tournament like sometimes it's just like one bet and like you have a really good idea of, of what's going on hmm. i see or like a three bet size pre-flop or something like that just a, yeah a three bet size pre-flop an open size pre-flop i mean some people will like sometimes open 2.5x and sometimes open 6x right. or you know never three bet and then like they three bet you see them three bet like four times in a day and one times min and one times three X and one times four X. And like that all, all four of those sizes mean like different <laughs> category of hands. And if you're paying attention, well, then you have a pretty good idea when they three bet, like what they're 
not just like ranges, but like a lot of times what their pretty much exact hand is. Yeah, and I'm sure stack size comes into play like a lot too. Like when they did they three bet when they were at ten big blinds or twenty big blinds? Like what what like how what percentage of their stack are they putting in when they decide to three bet? Another thing stuff you never have to worry about in cash. Yeah, and another thing that's different about cash games and tournaments is that I think in cash games the multi way theory is let's say a billion years ahead of multi way theory in tournaments. I mean, multi-way pots, which happen more frequently than you would think, uh, players are just like betting pot and like just, it's just weird. I think that might be a difference between live cash and, or live poker and online poker. Because when I was, I've, you know, I've been playing live cash for like the last two weeks and like, yeah, the things that I see in multi-way pots, I'm like, Jesus, like, <laughs> just like not even like the sizes that are being bet, but like the threat, you know, kind of like the, the hands that are being bet. I'm like, wow, like just the. People just treat people value bet, you know, in, in four way pots like the same way that they would value bet or the same ha- type of hands that they would value bet, like heads up, which is just. Or they just bluff four ways. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like they just bet and like they get called in one spot and they just like shut down. And it's like, wow, you know, how, like when you're trying to fold out like three people as a unit, um, you that needs to work very often. <laughs> Like very, very often they need to be overfolding by something like 40% each of them individually, which is like almost never happening. Um, but people just like put, you know, they'll just touch their little soldiers and just send them out to get torched um, for no explainable reason and then just shut down. So like a lot of wasted bets, I think in multi-way pots in, in the tournaments, that was one thing that I noticed. And like you said, too, a lot of overvaluing hands in multi-way pots where it's like, oh, you bet out and like you obviously have an overpair and the turn, you get one caller and the turn completes the flush and you just bet again. Well, no, <laughs> what, what, what are we doing here? Um, but yeah, they, they just do it and then yeah. are like shocked when their, their opponent just like has a flush. I was giving that was one of the mistakes I think I was making really like early on in these first two weeks was giving people like way too much respect and credit when they see bet in multi-way pots and like you know by the end of it I was just like well I'm like I'm three ways on the flop I have a pair of queens with a six kicker and I'm just gonna overcall after this guy went after it went that call because just top pair I'm just not pulling top pair anymore um, yeah I mean there, yeah, there I were, definitely there were two good players in one pot specifically or well you know two pros pros i guess or turn tournament pros I, I don't really know how to like quantify it but like guy like it goes like limp limp dude opens from the small blind quite big call 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 and the flop was something like uh eight five deuce with two diamonds and the small blind who had raised bets four ways and bets like 70 percent pot too and i'm like oh oh boy uh the last limper calls who's like i said you know another good player I, I think he was chip leader with like 10 people left or so so he's still in there he was directly on my left and yeah we were pretty chatty um he calls and the turn pairs the deuce and the small blind just bombs out again and the guy calls and i'm like oh like this is just like fives full like uh, every day and like the river pairs to five and i'm just like it's quads like I, like this is just quads like what else could it be it has to be quads right like we have nut flush over here versus quads um and then like 
the dude checks the river, the river double pairs the board. So eight, five, five, deuce, deuce, um, guy checks and then dude fires out like, uh, a big value bet of like 200 K or something. Like it was, yeah, it was a really big pot at, in that stage of the tournament. And, um, the guy just kind of like shrugs and calls with, and the dude to my left shows like Jack 10 of diamonds and, the other guy just kind of mucks and I'm just like <laughs> mystified of like, what the hell did I just witness? Like, how, how does this guy not have ace queen of diamonds? Like, I'm so, I'm so confused here. Like, I don't understand. And he had like Kings with the King of diamonds and no, that's just like a, <laughs> what did you call the river with? Like, I just, can I see that hand? Like, I just want to know. I, I mean, yeah, I, I thought that like the Jack 10 would be like torching Fucking as nines. a value bet. But, yeah. like, it was not, it was not torching apparently. So yeah, I think the, the, the level of play post flop in MTTs is much lesser than cash games, which sort of influenced the way that I would go about playing. I tried to get myself in more post flop situations just because I felt that's where my natural edge kind of lies. It's not in battling 20 big blinds with like push fold type situations. Yeah. Yeah. That does, that neutralizes a lot of your, a lot of your edge, I'm sure. I think the other thing that I, I would say is is really different in live poker is, uh, especially relative to the, to the wolf strats, is that like the value betting thresholds, I think, are much much lower. Like you can just get away with putting money in on the flop with hands that like we would just you know, we we would never bet. Um, yeah, people wolves. call too much, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like people just call too much. Tournaments are different. Like, yeah, maybe people tournaments are different. Yeah, they they're quite different. Um, you know, I bluff caught probably like five or six spots and won zero of them, I think. Uh, actually, no, no. I, I did bluff catch one spot I, that I did win. Um, and it was, I was like struggling, building my stack uh, on the second day when I bought in. I started with 30K and I went down to like 11K and like just didn't win any pots. Like I just didn't win a pot. Um, and then I doubled up and then I got into a nuffle situation. And uh. like as soon as, as soon as the nuffle developed, I went... Oh, I know this one. <laughs> this one, this one is very clear to me. Um, I actually I made a course on this exact spot, so I'm pretty confident I know how to play it. And uh, the course so, yeah. is based on the same data that made you wrong in the five other spots. Woke <laughs> up, but suddenly this one, you're like, no, no, no. This is the this one. I know, I know. <laughs> I did know it. I did know it. I raised from the button. The big blind called. It was an older Asian gentleman, and he oh. just led into me on how the can flop. You fold? And like I had a six and the flop was five, six, seven. He led, I called the turn was like a King. Um, he checked actually the turn was a 10. It went check, check. And the river was a King completing the front door flush. And he bet like pot or something. And I just like, Oh, okay, whatever. And they had the ACE, the old ACE three ball. Um, so that was the bluff catch that went well and actually gave me a lot of momentum from that point because it was like, I was struggling and then I won that pot and that put me like at around average chip stack and then was able to kind of build up and um, get some wind in my sails from there. But yeah, a lot of the bluff catches, I mean, to be fair, like the way bluff catches work, I mean, five don't work in a row. That doesn't necessarily tell us anything. Although I would say that like players don't seem to be as willing to just torch their stack off in a tournament as they are in a cash game. Yeah. All in is serious business. It's serious business. I mean, I bluff caught with like ace ten high in a spot, 
where I raised under the gun and the small blind called and flop was four, four deuce, uh, went check, check turn was, uh, like a six villain bet. I called, and then the river was a queen and they bet and I called with ace high and they had the 10, four suited. So yeah, I don't know. Um, there's a lot going on there. Mostly the guy flatted from the small blind with a 10 and a four of hearts, which is, <laughs> um, that's suboptimal or unorthodox, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> like, um, but the reality was, is like, I thought no, he rake had a, big antis. Who knows, man? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't, I, I don't know, but basically I thought he had a four or nothing and I didn't think he had many fours. So I called and he had more fours than I thought he did. So, um, Again, I don't know that I don't call there, but they did have the four that time. I mean, maybe if they have the ten four, they have like the ten five as well. So I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's how do you? Yeah, it's tough to figure out how to think about that when you see it. So, anyways, just before we forget, so how'd you end up doing in the tournament? Um, I spent thirty hours playing poker. My back hurt. It was a war of attrition. I was tired, mentally exhausted. Um, how many hours into day two did you last roughly past the dinner break? Oh, wow. Nice. Um, and then I busted and cash for 1300 and 1300 profit. Yeah. 1300 profit. Um, so 30 hours (laughs) cash for 1300 profit and feel like an absolute zombie and hungover and tired and just worn down and disappointed and sad. So it feels like pretty much most every other tournament that I've played in, I guess. Well, I think a tournament just feels bad, right? Like, no matter what, it's just... I'm, like, always shocked by, like, how bad I feel when I bust a tournament, like, regardless of the, regardless of the size. I don't know how pros do it or tournament grinders do it. But I don't... I don't maybe that, that's not always the case for me. I'm pretty much, like... A lot of times when I bust a tournament, I, I'm actually a little bit internally... Um, relieved (laughs) like um which explains a lot of my punts and a lot of my uh a lot of energy that i spent just trying to not beat myself this tournament um but this one i mean first place is over 300 you know it's 320 and so you get down to 60 people from like 11 or 1200 and yeah you can see the finish line like it's not outside the realm of possibility i mean I had like 800K at one point, which is probably like a top five or 10 stack. Um, And then I just like didn't win a pot after that. But I mean, yeah, when you get that close, it it tends to sting more often than not. And when you play like, you know, one tournament every three years, uh, you're not exactly used to getting close and failing. So it's just, it's kind of rough. Sounds like you had a good time, honestly. From the way that you're just describing your experience and you know kind of having to play every single hand like i feel like that's honestly that's something that you probably like about tournament poker right is that i did you don't get to take hands off yeah i did love that i yeah. loved that it was this um sort of battle of resilience and discipline with myself the whole time of being like don't punt and <laughs> hold <laughs> don't punt and hold your arms out because people are gonna like punt to you you know, that was sort of like, because the pressure is immense. People get tired. You know, there was a guy that didn't play a pot for like hours. And then all of a sudden, like two people limp, 
He makes it like 5x out of the big blind. Guy calls, flops king, king, deuce. He bets. The guy raises, and it's a player that I have not seen raise yet in hours and hours and hours. And the guy just like bet three bet rips, and the guy snap calls with king, jack, and the dude who bet three bet ripped had the queen jack off. And I don't know what happened. <laughs> like, I don't know what led to that sequence, but it happened. And he just kind of played for 10 hours and then torched his stack and sort of stumbled out of the room. I think like just the pressure gets to people and they just punt and they just kind of spaz out. And like, so tournaments are just this war, this internal war to not give anything away. And like, how long can you hold it together? How long can you avoid making a critical error? And the people that can do it the longest tend to do better. Yeah, it's just <clears throat> like when you put it that way, it just makes me like think of like guys who are playing day seven of the main event. Like you're playing for like millions of dollars in pay jumps and you're, you've, you've just played seven 12 hour days to, to like to get there and probably playing for, or most people are probably playing for life changing money. Like how do you? It, How do you do it, that? Well, the person I kept thinking about while I was playing the tournament was Darren Elias because, you know, he talked about one of his superpowers is being able to like, like whatever the opposite of like ADD is. He said he has that where he can just focus on something for a very long period of time, just sustained focus and energy. And I just, it, it I thought about him because I realized the, ed, the sheer edge that is when guys are like getting a massage and on their phone um, and like looking around the room and chatting with people and like just not paying attention and they're sleep deprived, they're energy deprived, you know, guys are chugging Red Bull at 9 PM. Like what on day one, like, yo, you got to wake up tomorrow and play at like noon and you're drinking Red Bull at 9 PM. I mean, this is like, you know, this is an internal war of like, are you, can, can you just make it through this um, in one piece where you have energy so that you can perform the next day? And I mean, I, I think that like a lot of players just don't have the discipline to do it. And if you do, it's a giant natural edge that like after playing in the tournament, yeah, I ran well, you know, I won some flips. Um, I didn't run exceptionally well, but like you, I, I had to run quite well to make it to the the top hundred. But I mean, it gave me a lot of confidence that like if I were to invest myself into tournaments, I feel like I could have just a lot of success. If I were to choose that route, I don't know that I necessarily want to torture myself that in that way. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Guy cashes one tournament, suddenly thinks he's, he's gonna could do it and take it over. I've seen these same thing happens. Tournament guys come to cash, they have one good session. It's like, oh man, you know what? I should just stick around. It's like, please, please stick around. <laughs> yeah, no, I yeah. It's, I, you know the, the job of the host is to build up the guest on this show john i don't know if you're aware of that um that's part of your responsibilities here. i'm just trying to make sure you don't walk into a trap you know just set yourself up <laughs> no i i mean i don't know the how SOP people, is right around the corner you know <laughs> i don't know how guys do it over a sustained period like a, a sustained event of like just day after day after day of like building up a stack and going deep busting and then rebuying the next day that seems like uh it's a little it's a it's a couple 
orders of crazy beyond me right now that I, I don't, I'm not interested in exploring, but I mean, I, I do think it's like a fun, uh, it's a fun thing to do occasionally just this sort of like marathon esque type event that is this personal internal struggle. I mean, I just, at some point I said that I was going to do whatever it took to stay like as, um, to be in a, as close to an optimal mindset as I could be after playing so many hours. And I mean, you know, during dinner break of the last day, and by the way, so I played day the first day one and made it until 30 minutes before bagging and busted. So I played all day and then I played the second day one and played all day and bagged and then came oh. back. So it was effectively like yeah, three, three straight days uh, yeah. of playing. Um, so I was, I was pretty tired. I'm not used to, having to sit in these god awful chairs you know that's one thing i thought playing about playing poker like, at all for that long yeah i mean <laughs> 30 hours or so when was the when was the last days. time you played a 12 hour session of poker i don't know i can't remember it's, yeah right like that's that's hard commerce to do. days right like yeah, it's yeah. Been live poker live cash game days um i remember thinking of like just sort of like soft things that i could do to give myself more of an edge i started thinking about like finding an optimal seat cushion <laughs> for my chair and these like shitty chairs where my back hurts and my body just feels sore. I'm like, man, there's gotta be a better way to do this. Like I'm exhausted, uncomfortable, just having real problems. Like just trying to think of like any little extra edge during the dinner break. Um, I went upstairs, uh, to this like little hallway where people are walking back and forth. Um, I did some like stretches. So I'm like doing downward and upward dog and people are like walking past me, you know, thinking, I don't know what they're thinking that I'm like humping the floor, I guess, with up, upward dog. Like what is wrong with this weird person? Oh, just another MTT player. Just another, <laughs> another MTT grinder. Um, I fired up uh, my waking, waking up oh, med meditation oh, and oh. just kind of like sat there for, yeah, 15 minutes. And it was one of those where, you know, I just follow Sam Harris's lead for the meditations. And this one was uh, eyes open meditation and like taking in all the space around you. So, you know, I'm just sitting here in this hallway staring at a wall um, <laughs> without just like staring at a wall kind of blankly uh, sitting cross-legged with my back against the wall. And yeah, people are just like walking by. There was a kid who walked past and his parents were holding his hand and he was just kind of like looking at me like, what the hell? <laughs> what are you doing? Um, but yeah, I lost the ability to kind of care about other people's judgment and was just willing to do whatever I could that I thought would keep me sharp and hopefully, you know, give me an edge and allow me to play at a level that, yeah, that I felt that I could be proud of. You want to give us your bust out hand before we wrap up the pod? Yeah, I can. I mean, it was interestingly, I, I took all those precautions and I, I'm pretty sure that I still kind of made an <laughs> error in. But um, it wasn't an all in pre or no, it was not an all in pre it. I mean, and I don't even, again, because I'm not super studied on like 30 big blind poker or 20 big blind poker, I'm not exactly sure what to do, but given the game, the table configuration, I know what I should have done and I know what I didn't do. Um, given the benefit of hindsight, but strategically, I think I made a pretty big mistake. Like the under the gun player opened and they were one of the better players at the table. 
I had, you know, four fish. So we're eight handed and there was like, yeah, four weak players at the table. This guy open under the gun, um, or UTG plus one. And I had ace queen of hearts. And I mean, it was like the blinds were really big, uh, like 10, 15, 15. And I had something like 280 left. And he opened to say like 35. Yeah. And I just, I opted to just three bet to like 110 or something like that or 120. Yeah. Um, but I think in, in retrospect, I think flatting is better because I don't think I'm getting squeezed a ton. And like I, you know, we've said on the show many times before, like, why am I isolating myself against a very strong range? Um, under the gun and there's other players who can like get invited into pot. We can play multi-way. I think I have a natural edge in multi-way pots. If somebody, if a shorter stack jams and you know, it's like an easy slam dunk snap, um, with ACE queen, if UTG folds. So anyway, I, I think that there was like just a, the better decision was to flat behind instead of three betting, but you know, my cash game instincts kind of took over and it was like, Oh, ACE queen, this is like great. Let's just get it in here. I, mean, I was legitimately like, "Cool, we we can just get it in." Like, that uh, I wish was I could. My... I wish I could jam. I wish I was a little bit shorter so I could just right put the wolf back in. Yeah. So I three bet. They called, and you know there was something like two eighty or three hundred in the pod, and I had like two thirty left, and the flop was like ten high, ten six four, with one heart. Um, and I decided to check back the flop to basically call all in if fill in jams and I checked and the turn was a five and they jammed and I just kind of like sat there going, wow, I really don't think they're fucking around with King queen here or queen Jack. Like I am, I, I had a plan to call the all in and like now I'm second guessing it. And then I just said whatever and called all in. Um, and they had the Queens and oh, that's wow. the end. Yeah. How does that not get in preflop? Is that bad to get that in preflop? I don't know. I <laughs> when I called all in and he showed queens, I just kind of said, like, man, why don't we just get this in pre? Like, why, <laughs> why do we have to like have a sweat here? Like, why, this is now. I feel like I played bad. Like we, we just played a pre. Like right. Like I, 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 I feel like I, yeah. I feel like I made a mistake now. Um, <laughs> and maybe you know, maybe to us, kind of silly non-tournament players maybe when you open utg plus one and get three bet queens is not as strong as we think it is yeah this guy's probably like holy shit i just got three bet <laughs> like with, oh my god like i guess i'm like hoping to set mine thank god the flop's 10 high like oh my god thank god he checked back like <laughs> yeah i'm like checking back to like bluff catch versus like whatever and like i think probably what happened was I underestimated the pressure of the moment and sort of how strong they were going to be when they defended. Um, and that's a calibration. I think that's kind of tough. It's kind of tough for a cash game player with limited experience playing tournaments, because for me, it's like, Oh, oh they have King Jack suited King queen suited. Like, yeah, this is uh, like an easy three bet. I, I didn't even think about it. Like, I, I mean, it was just like, I looked at it. Well, I mean, like even like, after oh. they flat, I'd be like, Oh, they, they yeah, you know, of get course. To this turn with tons of hands that just have to, Jam that I beat. Yeah, I dominate them. What, what's going yeah. on? Like, yeah, is, you'd have gotten ace king in pre. I have like I basically have nuts actually. Yeah, if you this think is about an it. Easy <laughs> spot. I mean, um, so yeah, and, and I, I think that those sort of like miscalibrations are probably 
not unique to me as a cash game player and may happen to other players. And like I said, you know, pressure is a big component to tournaments. And I mean, probably the hand that I, I enjoyed playing the most was like on the stone bubble, by the way, um, where a guy limped um, and, you know, I had like one, yeah, I had like 190K and uh, now I feel like I'm like repeating myself. Did, did I already tell this hand in this, no, this no, no. podcast? No, I, I talked about even, it before. You didn't even talk about it before. Oh, we didn't? Yeah. Oh, so anyway. Okay, so good. I'm not like going insane here on Tactical Tuesday in public. Um, so like Guy Limps, I believe it was 4K, 2 4K. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, limps in the cutoff, um, had just celebrated maybe five minutes before because he got a walk and we're on like two from the money. So we're, we're like stone bubble. He's celebrating cause he gets a walk. He limps. I like down to Queens. Um, okay. So I open a 14 K the blinds fold. He calls the flop is ace. Is he, you have him covered. I do have him covered. Okay. Yeah. The flops ace king deuce. So <laughs> not a, a less than ideal flop for Queens. Uh, they check, I check. The turn is like a six. They bet um, 10K. I call and the river's a 10 and they bet like 25 or 30K. And I was in the one seat. He was in the nine. And I just kind of like, I just kind of stood up out of my chair and was like, how much do you have left? And he had just like, you know, a stack. I mean, this is probably like 80% of my, my chip stack at this point. Um, and I was just like, you know, I had... John Chai in my ear saying, just fucking go, man. What are you doing? Like, what's, what's the question here? Uh, so I was like, how much do you have left? And I was like, whatever, I'm all in. Um, and he just kind of sat Did you say there. whatever? I don't, I didn't say whatever. I just uh, said, okay. like, uh, I just said, how much do you have? Okay. I'm all in. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he tanked for Ooh. a few seconds. I mean, yeah. maybe like a minute or so. And, and uh -huh. he even muttered under his breath, like, I don't think I'm good enough to fold this, which is oh not. Oh my God, I hate her. Yeah. yeah, that's not the sentence you want to hear uttered um, in a, a spot like this. I don't think I'm good enough to fold this because. I've never heard any, I've never seen anyone fold after they say that out loud. Yeah, he folded face up, uh, King 10. So river to, <laughs> river to pair, um, folded face up. And I didn't, you know, have the heart. Like I, I, I wasn't going to. He was so happy to make the money. I felt like it would be bad form to show him or show my hand. Um, so I had mercy on him and just folded. And then, you know, he show was, a queen. That's kind of exciting. Uh, he, he talked about it for a little while later and was like, ah, I could have been busted there. It's like, wow, I'm so happy. So proud of my, <laughs> my fold. And I'm nice. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that, that hand was like, I, cool I think hand. a lot that was a fun hand to play. And I think a lot of like <laughs> what's most exciting about tournaments to me is like just seeing a spot and pouncing and just pulling the trigger. Um, when you feel like you have some kind of read on the situation. I mean, when, when I was short stack, a guy raised the button and we had, we both had like three fifty, and he made it like 40 K and it was like, I'm pretty sure he's raising every button in this spot he needs to he needs the chips and like so i just basically had pre-shoved you know without 
people like I had the Queen Dewey and stuck it in, you know, just like situations where guys are most likely going to raise with a wide range and also need like a top seven or eight percent hand to call with. I think that you just put the chips in, leverage those spots. Um, just because, yeah, you want to get yourself in like spots where you can realize a lot of fold equity and that are like high percentage that they work at a high, high frequency. I think that's the biggest takeaway for me is like, you want to find like when I shoved with the Queens, I thought that's going to work unless they have like a set of sixes. I thought that like, unless they have a set, this is getting through. Um, and it's very unlikely that they have a set. So like, just take the spot. And if they have a set, then, you know, God bless them, but they didn't. And in this spot where I jammed pre, it was like, yeah, the guy's probably raising most hands and like, whatever, I got a queen and a deuce. I mean, it's not like I got nothing. This is a, this, this hand can like, not only do I have a lot of fold equity, I got some post swap oh equity God. too. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, thank God. It's unlikely my deuce is nominated. Like this is. <laughs> yeah. yeah the deuce it's hard for them to have a deuce right uh, um you got I feel like uh i feel like studying icm and like just you know you're talking about like spots where you can apply max pressure like just being able to like utilize icm pressure i feel like it's something that both of us would really enjoy and just kind of go crazy with if we i think that icm pressure because i played a lot of sit and goes on party poker back in the day yeah. and icm pressure there was like pretty hilarious where you know three guys get paid um and so, like, when you have chips, you just, like, are all in every hand pretty yeah. much. Um, and you just whittle everybody down. And by the time the fourth guy busts because they posted in the dark. Um, basically over. It's basically <laughs> over. Um, yeah, that that sort of thing is, like, right in my wheelhouse of, like, cool, I've got a big stack. You want something. And good luck. Like you're going to need to have, uh, you're going to need to like get lucky to put your chips in with any sort of level of confidence. Those spots are yeah, right in our wheelhouse. And I think that like the other side of ICM, most people look at the risk averse side of ICM, but the other side is that like, when you have a lot of chips, you can fuck people's worlds up. Like, I think that is like Tailor made for us. If, if we're gonna like make an ICM mistake, I feel like it's gonna be on the aggressive <laughs> side, way more often than the passive side. It's like no, 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 you can't stack off yet. <laughs> You're in third place, dude. What are you doing? Yeah, when I had Dylan Wiseman on and he was talking about PLO and we have like a lot of chips at the final table, you just like raise any four, yeah, because it's hard for them to. Because of ICM considerations, it's hard for them to have enough equity to justify getting it in against the big stack. You want to ladder up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought, wow, it's like a goal in life just to have a big stack at a PLO tournament with like 15 people <laughs> left. That's, that's like the dream. You just like pot in the dark, pot, pot, just run over the table. <laughs> um, I dream about such things. Yeah, well, maybe if you play more tournaments. Like it sounds like you will, honestly. It You'll get that chance. I don't know. We'll see. Um, <laughs> it, it it honestly, I, I'm old. You know, it took a lot out of me. It, it took it, hours it, twice in a row. That's just that's too much now. Yeah, thirty hours over three days. It, it took a lot out of me. It was tough. Um, but I think if we made the stakes bigger, I think you could do it. I just think it's like um, you need to be used to the grind. Mm -hmm. I mean, you just have to like build up your 
tolerance to deal with that. And I mean, wearing a mask for 12 hours, that's, that's like, cause you're I probably not used to that either. Right. Huh? <laughs> oh, you <laughs> No, I didn't wear a mask. Um, you've like locked up or I've locked up. Back. Yeah. Um, I think the responsible thing would have been to wear a mask, but I did not wear one. Uh, that, that's a stamina thing for me too. My back and my ears are just like on fire by the time I'm done playing live poker. Nobody else was wearing a mask or very few people. So I'm, I was very much falling in line with what everybody else was doing. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm like double vax and boosted. So, <laughs> and everybody that I know is like double vaxxed and boosted. And so like, for me, it's okay. I don't know. Yeah, that's still required in California. I have a choice here. Cherokee Nation, they don't give no Fs. <laughs> there's, no, there's no COVID in Cherokee Nation. No, they don't they don't care. <laughs> so whatever. Maybe irresponsible, but I did not wear a mask and I'm actually kind of unapologetic about it. Just uh, yeah, uh, whatever. Didn't mean to. Didn't mean to bring up a sensitive what might be a sensitive topic no it's not sensitive actually i I, I wanted to bring it up from like a stamina the grind standpoint yeah yeah it's hard to wear a mask for 12 hours especially when you just play online poker at home all day long and you know you never have to wear a mask right so i just didn't (laughs) like let's eliminate (laughs) let's eliminate that difficulty right now by just not doing it um so whatever all right any any last words on your uh on this mtt post live mtt postmortem before we wrap it up no words. Like I said, I think there's a lot of edge to be gained, and I think there's a lot of uh, problems and challenges that could be explored that I think are quite interesting. And, oh, the final thing, I, I guess, is like, um, yeah, for, for the Wolf program, like, over time, I've realized that, like, one of my main drivers in life is solving these like huge problems and unraveling these sort of like mysterious things, systemizing them and breaking them down strategically. And so like that's going to go up on my, uh, my vision board of like things that I would like to do in my lifetime is like break down MTTs and like really systematically find where the edge comes from and figure out how to leverage it. Um, so that I can, churn out some, you know, Ollie and Suraviches that uh, go out there in the world and just smash everybody's head, head in. Yeah, maybe if we say his name more, he'll come on the pod, right? Maybe. <laughs> what, do you, what is it like, Candyman? You just like try to su- <laughs> say it summon three times. him? <laughs> Stand in the mirror and, and summon him on? I think, uh, yeah, I think we have like some mutual connections. So it, it's not outside the realm of possibility. Uh, but so stay uh, tuned for CPG Wolves. MTT edition. I just want to know what he does differently than everybody else, right? That's the that's the mystery to me, right? Like, what do people who it's got to be something, man? That dude is just incredible. And like, how 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 do you have like that level of consistency against the best MTT grinders in the world? Like, that's you're doing something different than they are doing. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And that to me is like unique and clever, and about the coolest thing that you can do is doing something that other people don't really understand that you do that's giving you an edge and like just being ahead of the curve like that. I mean, to me, that's the most impressive aspect of poker when somebody can figure that out. Something that like, this is a game that's been played for a long time and a lot of different people have put in a lot of volume and a lot of very intelligent human beings have come in to this world 
and to figure something out that nobody else really has that that to me is the ultimate um in this space so kudos to him kudos to all those guys who are like blazing trails and doing Adamo. things that other people aren't doing yeah adamo i think it's just incredible and good for them yeah 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 those guys are definitely on a different level like it's <laughs> i don't think it's like a heater i don't think it's like a heater for those guys they're clearly doing something different from everybody else so i'd definitely be excited to listen to listen to I them on the pod if you get them yeah, yeah, probably. I, I doubt they'll tell me what they're doing, but if I could kind of look and see the decisions that they make, um, and you know, you can always sort of reverse engineer, or make inferences, or try to figure it out. I think that's another fun little puzzle to kind of try to solve. But yeah, currently my bandwidth is quite limited to the Wolf program, so that's going to be like, you know, that's on the bucket list of things to do in the future. But right now, it's just trying to maximize cash and you know do my own sort of unique takes on strategy in the cash game arena give those to the wolves and uh see what happens all right well that's gonna be it for the squad so yeah see you next week oh 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 whoa i I didn't steal your line i thought you were gonna no it's over john what are you gonna say now see see y'all next week you ruined it glad we just recorded for 30 45 minutes and Decided to torch it at the end. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community. Book a coaching session or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast. Podcast.